You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show. Today, I'm so, so thrilled to be having the amazing, the prestigious and awesome Bruce Lipton in the studio with me. We're going to be talking all about this week's topic, which is the power of courage. I'm going to say hi to Bruce, and then I'm going to give him a little intro. Hey, Bruce, how are you? I am so happy to be here with you, and especially our audience, Natalie, because I think you've gathered a, a number of cultural creatives together, listeners who are looking for another way out of the amazing chaos that we're experiencing right now. Well, I'm definitely keen to dive into talking about that that chaos and how we do need courage to navigate these times. So for those of you that have maybe heard of Bruce or maybe you haven't, I know I have a lot of my friends and followers who have read many of your books. But if you guys haven't heard of Bruce, Bruce Lipton is PhD, cell biologist, award-winning lecturer, internationally recognized leader in the new biology, and the author of best-selling books, The Biology of Belief, The Honeymoon Effect, and co-author with Steve Behrman of Spontaneous Evolution. He's also received the Goy Peace Award, which is incredible. That's from Japan. And he's been listed in the top 100 of the world's most spiritually influential people for over 10 years. Congratulations on that. And welcome to Reality Check Radio. Oh, I am so happy to be here with you. And again, I'm very uh, honored that you're uh, creating this program because in a time of chaos, we need an anchor every now and then we can hold on to and see what's going on. And so I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you, Natalie. Well, that's great. You know, we are talking about courage and a lot of people in the past three years, especially have had the courage to ask questions, speak up, stand up, step out from the crowd. I know that's something you've been doing probably your whole life. Um, specifically around your work in the wellness space. So I guess my first question for you is, have you always had the courage to stand out from the crowd? Well, I'll tell you, it was a very exciting time for me back in 1967. I was teaching uh, students in uh, graduate school, medical school, the concept of what is called genetic determinism, the belief that genes you know, control the character of our lives, which almost everybody still believes today. Uh, and while I was teaching that in the lab that genes control life, uh, I mean, in the um, uh, lecture hall, in the lab, I, I was uh, culturing what are called stem cells. And my research on stem cells revealed that the genes uh, did not control themselves, that the environment was controlling the genes. And, and now there's that little one thing is a primary um, profound difference from the conventional belief, genes control your life. As far as you know, you didn't pick them. You can't change them if you, you don't like the character. And, and then, of course, you've heard genes turn on and off. And then you start to realize you become a victim of your heredity. Oh, there's cancer running in my family, Alzheimer's, blah, blah, blah. So that belief is still here. <laughs> And yet, back in 1967, my research revealed a whole different story, and that was the one that showed that the environment was controlling the genes. I said, so what's different? I say, well, we control the environment. We can change the environment. And all of a sudden, I said, well, then I'm not a victim in controlling my genes. I am a master in controlling my genes. I go, 100%. Well, of course, everyone around me, uh, I was the only one saying that because uh, my research was repeatable and was cloning stem cells, as I said. And I kept getting, I could get the same results over and over again, which means in basic science, that's called predictability. I can predict the outcome. Well, the profound understanding of predictability is in science, that is the hallmark of something. You, you know, if you know it, you can predict it. So 
I know it. I'm predicting, uh, showing that the environment controls the genes. And everyone around me, of course, is of the belief in a system that genes control themselves. So I was the only guy out there doing this. But I was so excited by it because, like, it made sense of a greater picture of the whole world. And I really wanted to find some people to talk about it because I had left my university, uh, University of Wisconsin School of Medicine, uh, where I was teaching medical students genetic determinism. I'd left it when I realized that that belief system was wrong to my way of seeing it. Because my research revealed Noah's environment, not not uh, genes controlling themselves. And I just said, I cannot go back in the classroom and teach something I know is radically wrong. Uh, and so I resigned. So I was out. But then I was working on the details. The, the hardest part was my colleagues will say, yeah, we, we can see that the environment has influenced it. Show us how. I didn't know how. I was just saying, look, here's the experiment. I add this culture medium, boom, they form muscle. I add this culture medium, they form bone. I go, that's all I can say. And so I had to go, when I left the university, I really worked on how can this manifest? And it came to me and it was like, it blew my mind because it revealed that the membrane around the cell, the skin of the cell, is the same as, it's not like, but the same as uh, an information processing chip. It's a carbon-based chip. I go, so what? I go, well, the cell membrane is like a computer, and you type on the surface the keys, which are called receptors, with information from the environment. So the environment is typing, and I say, then what? And I say, well, the membrane takes that information and then makes it uh, the control mechanism inside the cell. So the cell is responding to the environment. Uh, and it's a computer chip. And it's like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. Because, it, as I said, it's not like a computer. It is a carbon-based computer chip, an information processor, and processes the environmental information into biology. And I wanted to talk to some science people, and I didn't know anybody around because I wasn't involved. And I thought, I'll go back and ask my old department, can I come and give a presentation on this new biology? I was so You're excited. like, surely they'll embrace it. I I thought, I'm going to... Oh, man, the sky is going to break open. It's going to be great. A whole new wisdom. And so um, uh, they put me in on a lunchtime seminar, which is the equivalent of like all the faculty and students bring a bag of lunch and they hang out and somebody talks and they're not really paying attention anyway because it's a social gathering more or less. And so I say, I don't care. I got an audience. So I go give this talk and I see all these people, rooms filled up and I start giving this talk. And I'm so excited about this information. It's like, you know, world debut. <laughs> and right near the end of the talk, I started to notice that nobody had eaten their lunch. And they were just staring at me and like big saucer eyes like I was an alien. It just came off of a, you know, a spaceship. Uh, and I closed by, uh, and I said, well, thank you very much. And that was a, that was a response. It was dead silence. I mean, it was the most awkward feeling in the world. I said, thank you very much. They looked at me. Nobody moved. Nobody said anything. They just looked at me. And I distinctly remember one person in the back of the room clapped twice. And they all looked at that person. And he put his hands down and stopped clapping. And they just all got up. And they all walked out. All my former colleagues, not one person stayed. Everybody mm. left in the room alone. Now I want to tell you about... Am I crazy? 
That's what I was thinking. Why? Well, uh, crazy people really believe <laughs> whatever they're doing. And I really believe this. And I was so, but everybody left and I was all alone there. And that was like, I, I went like, uh-oh, maybe I am crazy. Uh, and so uh, a lot of fear came into my life at that moment. And, and then just to finish the story, I, I felt like I got to go back to where I got my PhD. And there was a uh, my, my PhD committee were some very sophisticated, highly ranked people in the world. And I thought, I'll just ask them. So uh, I go to the, the one head guy, head of the, uh, I mean, smartest cell biologist at that time in the world, in a sense, Lenny Rabin. And I sat in front of his big desk and he's big there in a big wing back chair. And he looks at me and I say, uh, Lenny, I just want to know one thing. What's wrong with my idea? Just tell me what's wrong. I'll get off the idea. I just need to know what's wrong. And he pauses and he thinks about it. He says, um, well, Bruce, it's not what we're thinking. I go, yeah, I know it's not what you're thinking. I want to know where's the flaw so I could get off of this. And then he pondered this for a moment. And then all of a sudden he said, well, it's too simple. And this is where you have to understand what happened. I bellowed out and laughing. I'm like now the real crazy guy laughing that he said it was too simple. And he's looking at me like this is a weird guy all of a sudden. Uh, and I paused and I said, Lenny, 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 I remember day one graduate school. I remember day one. They taught us something called Occam's razor. I said, what's that? I said, that is a statement that says the simplest hypothesis is the most likely hypothesis and should be considered before all others. So I stopped there and I thought, hey, that's the best thing you could have said in the world. It's too simple. <laughs> and that led me back onto the trail to say, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to keep talking about it. And the part was, yes, I look crazy. And then even confronted with, well, you're crazy. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. Applying this information to my own life changed it in such a way that I'm having the best life ever. So I said, I might be wrong, but I'm sure as hell not going back to that conventional thinking again, because this new information is profoundly powerful in, in creating the lives that we want. And 23 years later, science recognized what I was talking about, and the name is called epigenetics and is now fundamental part of science, and still the public doesn't even know or understand the meaning of it because it's the one that takes us from victim to master of our life. Well, a few things in that, and I love that story, and I wanted to ask a few other questions. I know that we did Empowered Wellness last last week, so to my lovely listeners, if you missed the Empowered Wellness um, show that we did last week, you can catch that in the replays. Um, but a few things I wanted to jump on there. Well, number one, you had the courage not only to present a different viewpoint to your peers, which is also in, which is intimidating at the best of times, but also the courage, and here's the turning point, right? To persevere despite the pushback, because some people would have been like, oh, well, I guess that was a flop or I embarrassed myself or I was wrong or whatever. But you were like, you know what? I am so convicted about this. I believe in it so strongly. I'm going to push forward for 23 years until people finally see Recognize. that you were right the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of fun because then my life has a great mission to it as a result of that. The great mission is this. 
I learned to not just talk about the science. Actually, the first time I actually started to get a public audience together, I remember distinctly saying, well, I can give you this information. This is the greatest new science. And if you understand it, yeah, you can have the most wonderful life. Uh, and then people in the audience at some point started to look at me and go, say, you know, Lipton, for a guy who says you know how to do this, your life doesn't look that good. And it was a wake-up call. The wake-up call was this. You can talk about it. But if you're not using it, it doesn't mean anything. And that was the wake-up call. So that was the part that said, wait, if this is true, then I should use these principles and change the character of my life to conform to these principles. And once I did that, it was it was a miraculous experience of, oh, my God, it works. <laughs> uh, uh, and then when I after using it for a while, then I go back in the lecture hall and say, I'm going to show you and tell you how to create the most perfect life. And now the audience goes, yeah, tell us. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a radical, radical change. But it was a big lesson that says, you know, I, I can talk about it. But if I'm not following it, then there's no demonstration possible from it. Exactly. And I think we can know things intellectually, we can understand them. But if we're not taking, I call it empowered action, you know, or making intentional choices to integrate that knowledge into our life, sometimes it's, it's wasted to a certain extent. Can you elaborate for people that aren't exactly sure? What do you mean by environment? What comes to mind for me is like the people you hang out with, and whether there's mold in your house, or the quality of the air you breathe, the quality of the food you eat, what is that spot on? Or is that totally off? all of that? <laughs> Uh, let, let me try to give you a word in physics. It's called entanglement. Mm -hmm. And I go, what does that mean? I say that that means when two energies come together, they don't just mix, you know, pass through each other. They actually entangle and interfere and change the character of both forms of the energy at the same time. To give you an analysis or analogy to it, excuse me, uh, consider a pond and it's raining. And every raindrop that hits creates a series of ripples. Well, the series of ripples are actually energy <laughs> from the raindrop, and energy makes ripples. But what was the point about it was that there's no set of ripples in the entire pond that are not connected, interfering with the ripples of the rest of the pond, which means if everything is made out, things that are made out of energy are entangled, they come together, there's no separation, we, our perception of matter has an edge to it. So they're on one side, you know, there's an edge, and I go, not in energy, energy are waves that go out infinitely. So the, the, the whole understanding is this, and this is the part that so I'm going to have to say something about science to make sense out of the rest of it. But it sounds crazy, but I'm going to say it because it's absolute science. And that is, Quantum physics is different than the physics you and I learned when we went to school, which had matter and energy as two separate realms, and these are made out of physical things, and that's invisible stuff. Uh, quantum physics said that was an illusion that everything is energy. And, and that's really hard, and I give lectures a lot, and it's really hard just to tell everybody in the audience, well, everything is energy, uh, which is invisible, of course. Uh, and then, of course, everybody's looking at each other, sitting in chairs, sitting at tables, wherever they are, uh, watching, looking at the building and everything. So, what do you mean there's no matter lifted? You know, it's like, I can see everything here. Uh, and then uh, it's fun because there's an Einstein quote that covers that. And his quote was, reality is merely an illusion, albeit a persistent one. Uh, and basically says this, everything is energy, energy is invisible, which right away creates a problem. And if energy is invisible, how can we see things? 
and, and then I have to give it the answer. And it's very simple, actually. Uh, and, and people laugh, but it's the answer. And the answer is, you can see things because the lights are on. And, we go, and I go, no, you still don't get it. Because here's the physics. Light are photons, photon particles of light. And when the photons hit the energy body, let's say you, the energy deflects the photons back. So you're not seeing the body, you're seeing the surface of energy pho photons hitting the surface and coming back. So it's like a veneer of photons is what you see. Underneath the veneer of photons, the human body is invisible energy. And that's, think about it this way, the new scans like CAT scans or MRI scans, they don't read light, they read energy. I go, so what? They, they look through the body. They can take a picture through your body. They can show you all your organs and your vertebrae and your muscles. And I go, but these aren't uh, uh, optical pictures. These are energy pictures. And that our body is energy. Everything is energy. Now, finally, after all that, <laughs> we get to the point that the ripples on the pond are the example of energy. And I say, everything is entangled. Everything is connected. You're not disconnected from anything. And that energy interacts with energy, and that's called an interference. And sometimes two energies come together and they enhance each other. More energy is called good vibes. It's called constructive interference. Sometimes energies come together and they cancel each other out, which means bad vibes mm -hmm. <laughs> or no vibes. That's destructive interference. And I go... That's really pretty interesting because that's the mechanics of what's going on in our universe with us, ourselves. We are energy. Everything around us is energy. The house you live in, the decorations you put on the wall, feng shui for a couple of thousand years, the Asians have told us everything is energy and where you put the pieces determined, you know, like a crystal structure. And so feng shui says, if you put the crystals around, the energy things around you, plants or artwork or whatever it is, because everything is energy, you create a, a focus of energy that can enhance your life. Uh, I give example, it's very simple. Uh, most people uh, have a living room set based on getting a couch and two matching chairs. And I go, yeah, and I can say, and when you put it in your house, I bet you there's one chair you sit in, but you won't sit in the other chair. It's like, that's my chair versus the other chair. And I go, well, what's different? I go, feng shui, <laughs> meaning what? The energy that you decorate your house, those are energies that are powerful to you because you pick out the things that make you feel good and you put them all over the place. When you design it, the energy has a focus. Guess what? It will focus on the one chair that you like, but not on the other chair. And I say, so what's the relevance? I said, the energy is life. So when you sit in your chair, the focus of the energy you created, the crystal structure around it, you feel better in that chair. And the other chair is exactly the same chair, but it doesn't feel the same. And so we're talking of a new kind of insight that said, yeah, we're all so caught up in the physical reality, reality, but we're not paying attention to the energy reality, which is more real than the physical reality and our connection to everything around us and our influence by everything around us. Uh, and all of a sudden it says, well, wait, then my life is manifesting or dealing with the energy. And I go, yeah, this is, this is the whole story. And it's very hard because most everybody out there doesn't even recognize that everything is energy. So right away, that's a, that's a hard jump to get to the first place because we're so caught up in a real world. But the energy entanglement is who and what we are. And then it comes down to a very simple equation at the bottom because it says energy is life. 
more energy, more life, less energy, less life, good vibes versus bad vibes. And people, I, I say that and everybody goes, oh yeah, that's cool. I go, you didn't get it. I said, what's that? We read energy. And I say, what does that mean? It says, you know when you're in the energy that makes you feel right, and you know when you're in the energy field that doesn't make you feel right, and that the mission statement is more life. That means always go toward more energy and avoid the energy that is used and gives you nothing back. Uh, and this all of a sudden becomes a guide. And, and the simple guide, Natalie, is this, is that every action takes energy. Are your actions using energy that gives you energy back or your community energy back or are your actions using energy and nothing comes back i go what's the difference i said well you invest <laughs> where you put your energy where things come back people jobs mission statements I'm, that's what i'm doing uh, uh versus the, the, I give example, like you get into a political argument with somebody, you get all heated up, which means a lot of energy is being wasted and stuff. I say at the end, you got a political argument, you leave, you don't talk to each other, walk away. And I say, what did you get? What did you get from that? I said, you got nothing. You changed nothing, but you used a lot of energy in doing it. And that energy is like the bank account of your mm -hmm. life. So uh, it changes how we how we look at life, and and, um, and the whole issue of courageousness is your energy can get totally challenged by the energy around you. And the fact is this: it's your belief system that is creating this life. If you compromise and don't follow your belief, then you're going to create somebody else's version of life, not yours, because you've given up. Uh, and this is really critical because hey. Bruce Lipton's talking blah, blah, blah here, but let Bruce Lipton give you a piece of science. <laughs> uh, and that is uh, the concept of uh, um, quantum physics. And quantum physics from day one, Max Planck, the founder, uh, one of the founders of quantum physics, day one, 1927, said, consciousness is the creator of all matter. And I go, what does that mean? I say, from the most valid science, there is no science with more validity than quantum physics. It says that we are manifesting this world with our consciousness. If you fail to support your own consciousness, then you're giving rise to somebody else's consciousness taking over. And there's a point where how, how, how frequently should you give in and how frequently should you hold on to your, to your consciousness? Because um, if I would have, you know, back in 1967, just said, hey, everybody around me is canceling my energy. I give up. I'm not going to talk about this. Then 23 years later, I would have found out, oh, my God, I was right 23 years ago. But I didn't give up. Mm -hmm. And I have honestly... I have to say, I have two lives in this lifetime. One before applying this knowledge, which was the work hard, struggle, don't get all the things you want. Life is a bitch. You know, uh, some nice things show up, but the rest of it is aggravation. Work hard, sweat over it, put a lot of effort and make things happen, working, working, working. And then the second part of my life is like, nope, no more effort involved. Why? I'm flowing with the energy now. I'm not, you know, having a problem pushing on the energy. I'm flowing with the energy, which means you really have to understand something about your feelings, about your consciousness, 
and how you are uh, from biology your consciousness is controlling everything in your body from the genetics to the behavior and in quantum physics your consciousness is altering the experiences in the world that you're living in and all of a sudden it said oh my god we were so focused on genes nobody mentioned the concept of consciousness and here we are trying to be conscious i'm so thrilled that you met you're mentioning about the quantum physics i met with my I have this networking club. It's called Empowered Connections with women entrepreneurs and coaches and healers. And this morning I said to them, all right, ladies, I'm interviewing Bruce. Does anyone have any questions you want me to ask him? And one of them asked about um, at a cellular level, you know, well, I'm going to ask you about a few things. What have you, I, what have you noticed about the energy and the consciousness of New Zealand at the moment? So we just were talking about consciousness and everything. You've been, I know you come, I think it's every year or so that you come over here, but what have you noticed this time around in this visit about the consciousness and the energy in New Zealand right now? Okay, well, let me first start off with this. <clears throat> I've been uh, coming to New Zealand oh, 18 years now. Mm -hmm. Every year I come for the summer because I love the weather. And when summer's over, I'm back in the U.S. where summer is. So I go summer, 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 which I love. But I came to New Zealand for a very important reason. The first place was this, is that um, Margaret and I, uh, my partner and my love, uh, we had a piece of land on an island in Thailand. And every year we would go and spend a, you know, a month disconnected from the world on a beach in Thailand and all that stuff. And this was just after George Bush got the second election as president of the United States. And he was, in my opinion, an idiot in the first time. That he got elected the second time, it was like, oh, my God, who are these people that voted for this guy? And so I, Margaret and I got in a conversation. We don't know these people anymore, I guess, because the idea of him being elected. And I said, let's trade in these tickets to, to uh, uh, go instead of Thailand. Let's go, where would we like to live? What's another option? Mm. New Zealand came in because we had made a visit here earlier when I did a, a program, a conference with chiropractors and uh, Nelson, and <clears throat> we had a little taste of New Zealand at that time. And I said, wow, I like that place. So we traded in tickets. And uh, here we've been now for 18 plus years, post tsunami, because the year we traded the tickets in, that was the year of the tsunami, and we would have been on the island in Thailand that would have got messed up. Oh we ended up being here uh, in, in beautiful New Zealand. We loved it. We, oh, I mean, just, you know, every everything. When we came in, the country was beautiful. Everything was beautiful. I could put my feet on the ground. I could tell you, you could feel calmness. I could get out of the plane and go, oh. Like that, you know, even if I go to Australia today, it's like, oh, that's mini America. I could feel that energy when I land there. But New Zealand and everything is really great. And I love it here. And it's beautiful. And I'm a resident and uh, uh, I love this place. I have to say personally, because truth hour. Yeah, you can. It's freedom of speech. <laughs> I, I've, been ahead. I've been teaching immunology for 18 years. And when this whole COVID story started to unfold, uh, I, I, backed away i just said i'm not you know from a scientific point of view i, I can't go there I, this is completely not right in my opinion okay and then we lived through here with the uh you know shutdowns you know stay at home which was great for me why i'm i live in beautiful west coast here in new zealand you know on the tasman beautiful i, I stay home with my love of course what the hell hey that's a forced vacation but other people of course had jobs mm -hmm. <laughs> 
And I had a job, I was teaching, but I could have done that on the Zoom. So, but other people, and, and the, the thing changed, it really changed because it was a lockdown and I saw this and I said, it's a disempowerment period. It's a disempowerment because people only have power in community. If there's no community, then people have no power. And the whole COVID story, not just here. I mean, the <laughs> interesting ones were Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all, you know, former British, uh, you know, countries. Uh, all three of those had the most stringent lockdowns of any place on the world. And actually, and then we had to come back and do, uh, you know, you know, uh, we were quarantined down in Hamilton and, uh, and everything. And we came back, but it didn't feel the same anymore. It felt a little different. It felt what happened, no community. And New Zealand to me was the community, you know, atomic energy, people wanted to come here and the people got in their boats and they blocked the US Navy, uh, you know, and the people have always been like that. And then on this one, there was nothing. And they were separated from each other and they were out of community. And I go, they lost power. People have lost their power in this country because they didn't question anything. They just accepted this situation. It wasn't a good sign. It's I, I'll just jump in there because I feel like like community community amplifies courage, I feel, right? And that's kind of what you're saying. And I just want to also mention, acknowledge, there were a lot of people that didn't agree and wanted to stand up and many who did. But as you know, I mean, this movie just came out called Silence, the documentary. I'm not sure if you've seen it about Peter Williams, one of the journalists. He's one of the co-hosts with me here on RCR. Uh -huh. So many people got shut down, right? And as they did around the world, but it's like, yes, some Kiwis stood up, but yes, Kiwis like Canadians, where I'm originally from, are pretty, you know, amiable people. Like we're, you know, but but a lot of people did stand up, but they really got um, squashed and squashed or made an example of. So I just- Oh, that happened to me. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was censored. I had a couple of videos out and the uh, government took them off the line. Uh, and there I was realized, oh my God, I can't say anything. In my office, people were really upset with me because they didn't want the, you know, people to come down on us. Bruce, just don't yeah. talk about stuff, you know, don't talk about, I sneaked it in. Yeah, you weave it in. about it. And I still talk about it because now the results are back from this period. And it's like, you don't, you, <laughs> it sure as hell doesn't support anything that happened in this in this whole setup and i think to me personally it was a a global effort to control the world population which they did they shut down the entire world and only a handful of people made the rules that everybody else followed and like you just said for those here uh any you know as i personally experienced um if you try to challenge them uh you know they just crushed it uh, and it, to me that was like uh, there's a, a quote uh, uh, from Richard Feynman, uh, and Richard Feynman, a famous physicist, and the quote says, I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Mm -hmm. That's exactly where we were. You could not question this. Uh, and it was anti-science. And people said science did this. I say, no, technology who owns science did this, not science. I, I prefer to be a scientist. And I we as scientists are not involved with money, organization, all that. Scientists have a mission, understand the unknown. 
But when scientists comes up with information, then there are money people behind it going, hey, we could use that information and create more something. And this is exactly the COVID story in itself. It wasn't science at all. It was technology. I completely agree with everything you're saying. And specifically around, you know, controlling the population. Um, are you meaning, this is my impression of it, what I believe, population control and population control. Okay, so population control behavior, population control numerically. Yeah. Both. That yeah. happened right now. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the side effects are, yeah, uh, two very important side effects that are not really brought up in the public a lot uh, affect boys and girls differently. Young men, boys and young men, uh, as a result of the COVID shot, uh, ended up uh, with a high number of heart attacks and cardiac issues. I mean, young kids dying of heart attacks are sports athletes who were athletically really great, dying of heart attacks, that was side effect. Women, the side effects were more in the reproductive tract as well. Uh, and so uh, there was a great influence here on this experiment. I want people to understand uh, and a not sanctioned experiment because the global community before this COVID scare had completely agreed globally that they will never use uh, genetic engineering as a vaccine. And the RNA vaccines are genetic engineering. Uh, and they claimed that we had to use the experiment because there was no natural way to deal with it and there was a natural way to, and there are natural ways and one of the things that irritates me the most is while they kept telling people to protect themselves they never say take care of your health agreed because it was only the people that had what are called comorbidities other issues of health that when they got infected with the covid they had a serious issue but it wasn't just the covid they were already compromised healthy normal people matter of fact 40% of the population that was tested and found out they had the COVID didn't even know they had the COVID until the test showed it. And basically said, it was an issue that we're not healthy. Uh, and that rather than saying, look, you don't need to do all these drugs and things like this, you could get healthy and your immune system will beat the hell out of that COVID, which it does. Uh, and you can see, I, I get a little adamant here because Obviously, uh, I I had to stand up against all that, that and then figure out how to say things without raising the red flag, but say what I needed to say. So uh, I was able to do that and continue offering the public scientific awareness in spite of the, you know, overseers uh, watching what I was saying and still trying to give the public, you you don't realize how you lost power, you know, and uh, and that's what we want. Why? Because simply the world is uh, uh, given up its power to corporate entities and corporate entities don't care about people. They care about profit and therefore the hell with the people and look at the world. I go, yeah, we're in a lot of trouble right now because of corporate, you know, ripping off the world. There's still, I mean, everything you're saying, I'm just letting you go because I completely agree. And I think it's important that some people who haven't put those pieces of the puzzle together, listen to it from someone like you with that level of credibility what can you say to people? Because there'll be a lot of people in the audience like me going, yep, 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 right? You know, agreeing with you. And it's tragic, but I think it's accurate. But what about those people that just haven't been seen? They can't connect the dots or they maybe don't want to. What can you say to that? 
Well, there's a whole important issue here because it has to do a lot with developmental programming. Okay, number one, I go. What does that mean? I say, look, uh, when a brain a brain is a computer, it's an organic computer, it has the same exact functions as a silicon based laptop. Okay, same functions. Okay, and when you buy a new computer, if there's no programs in it it's useless you can boot it up the screen lights up but you can't do anything so you have to put programs in first then you can use the programs to carry out your life experiences a child's brain is a computer it boots up in the last trimester but it has no program so it's not usable until programs are installed the first seven years of a child's life the brain is not operating at a conscious level predominantly it's operating at a lower vibration meaning wires on a person's head it's called electroencephalograph and you can read your vibrations your brain function uh and there's a lower vibration than consciousness called theta and theta is a predominant activity up through age seven. Theta is imagination. Uh, and that's why kids can have that uh, famous tea party, you pour nothing into the cup and you drink it. And you say, that was the best tea I ever had in my life. Uh, and I say, well, that's theta. Or riding a broom, saying it's a horse, that's theta. Uh, because a child riding a broom, it's not a broom. In their imagination, theta, it actually is a horse, okay? And I go, yeah, that's theta for age seven, up through age seven. But I also have to say that theta is hypnosis. And that's how we got programs, because how is a child supposed to learn thousands of rules to be a member of a family, member of a culture? There are rules, you know. And I go, well, how's an infant going to learn rules? Because no schooling, no reading. What, what are you going to do? And I say, nature provided the first seven years as hypnosis observe your parents your family and your community and you'll observe how their behavior is and you'll download that behavior and now you got a program so you become like your mom your dad your community why because you downloaded all this most important fact uh, and that works through age seven after that you can make new programs but it's like repetition driving a car practice playing a musical instrument practice repetition but first seven hypnosis let me give where the, the one of the big monkey wrenches is. One of the big monkey wrenches is the programming part regarding health. And I go, what does that mean? I say, for the average family, when someone's sick in a family, what do they do? And the answer is, they go to the doctor. And a mommy goes to the doctor, daddy goes, you're not well, you go to the doctor. I say, this is a program before age seven. I say, what is the program? The program is when it comes to health, I'm not the professional. There's a doctor, that's a professional, their words are my truth. And so most families grow up with what? The doctor is the source of truth about my health. Mm -hmm. Then I say, all of a sudden I say that, now what happens? I say, well, there's a pandemic and the doctors are telling everybody, get the shots, get the shots, and all, you know, and you can't do this, you can't do that. And I go, well, if the doctor was right, that would be cool. But what if the doctor is wrong? You bought the truth from them. We paid the price. And the largest number of people, it's very difficult for them to take in the new science because they're still locked into the subconscious, let me emphasize, subconscious belief that the doctor is right and that that becomes truth and everybody else is screwed up.
uh, you know, so uh, that that kind of meme that says because I didn't get the vaccine, I'm going to kill other people. That's a that's a bunch of BS, which means belief system. And <laughs> the reality about that is that is now proven totally false. Even science has recognized that the mask didn't work. Science, I'm saying, not not uh, uh, new age belief issues, so scientific research, and distancing didn't work. And and people are still are wearing masks and distancing. And it's like. It's been proven by science that doesn't even work. So, hey, who's truth? And I say, if those people out there are locked in the truth of the medical profession, then some of the stuff that I'm saying right now will bounce off of them like, well, that's a bunch of BS. Uh, and the reality is, can can they change? I say, only when they're ready to change. Mm -hmm. And our effort, of course, is compassion. That's human, compassion. We want other people to be healthy and happy, and then we try and help them. And then we find that they don't pay any attention. <laughs> I go, because it's their subconscious program that's running their life experiences 95% of the day. And if that program says that only the doctor provides the truth, then everybody else's story is BS at that point. And for some of those people, they won't believe an alternate viewpoint until they hear it from a doctor. However, so many of the doctors were silenced or threatened or whatever the case may be. So it's an interesting conundrum but i feel like we've come a certain a year or so down the path and now people are starting to hopefully question things more but also to have more trust in their own empowered wellness i always say you are the ceo of your own health and yes. I, I would wish you know i would like to think people are more and more embracing that i sure hope so because that's the bottom line truth of what the new physics and epigenetics is all about the quantum physics about the energy and the entanglement of energy and how that can enhance our life or take away based on the energy uh that and the fact that epigenetics reveals that your consciousness is uh actually controlling the genetics of your cells um when that's really understood then all of a sudden then there's an opportunity to say wait i want to have a different life and i go now you're ready now you're ready to change uh and you can't make somebody change so you have to wait until they're ready to change because we spend a lot of effort. It's not quite unfortunate. It's compassionate. But you want somebody in your family to be well, and you really pour your heart out, and you're trying to help them. Totally resistant. They're totally resistant because they're not ready to change. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I've experienced that myself, and I know a lot of our audience has as well. So, okay, so we want courage. We also want compassion. <laughs> you guys, if you want more information, you know, Bruce is here in Auckland. He's doing an amazing event on Wednesday, the 19th of April. So I will include the link. Um, if you guys, I'm going to see a lot of people there, which will be very exciting. I've got two more questions before we wrap things up. This is something yeah. I ask all of my guests. What is one thing you've done, achieved, or experienced in the past year where you truly upped your brave? Well, I'm still challenging the system <laughs> and getting away with it and creating a great life at the same time. At some point, it's like... Uh, yeah, I'd rather follow my belief system than that conventional world belief system because they're in chaos and I'm in heavens. And even right here in beautiful New Zealand, uh, I get to express the heaven on earth that I have here. And I, I love this this country. I love the community of people. I just really hope that they gather their, let's come back together again yeah. and have some some voice. We are. And, you know, I love that you do the summer to summer, by the way, my grandmother. So my my mom grew up in uh, Fakatani, a Hopi beach. And um, my grandmother, when I was growing up in Canada, 
uh, used to fly and see us. She lived summer to summer. And I always say that's like the dream life. Summer in New Zealand, summer in Canada, back and forth. <laughs> it works. <laughs> I love it. Not everybody will leave in the winter. will be quiet here at some point. <laughs> I know. All right. So my next question is about the bucket list. I have a um, segment called Bucket List Busters. What is one thing on your bucket list? Okay. I've been living the life of heaven on earth since, well, back 30 years now, 28 years of honeymoon with Margaret at this point. And in 28 years, my bucket list is I've enjoyed everything. I'm in, I'm happy where I am. I have no further need of anything but the enjoyment of the rest of the days of my life in a beautiful place with a wonderful partner. And so my bucket list is down to one thing, but it's not mine. Uh, it's because uh, my partner, Margaret, has never seen Northern Lights. And if you've never seen Northern Lights, I don't know you're a Canadian if you've seen Northern Lights, but it's one of the most amazing spectacles on the planet. And she's never seen it. So her bucket list has that. <laughs> my bucket list is to take her there and share that experience with her. So my bucket list is enjoyment with my partner. I love it. So watching her see it for the first time. You bet. So cool. So cool. All right, Bruce, so amazing to have you here on the show. Um, it's been incredible to just get some of your insights. And personally, I mean, I had a couple other questions written down, but I love the fact that we just riffed and I just let you riff on like your views on, on COVID and everything. That is super important to me. And I really value your views on that and your freedom of expression. Is there anything else you want to add um, about anything we discussed or anything else before we wrap up? No, I'd just like to wrap it up again with the fact that I thank you for your bravery. You're putting on a show questioning reality at this point, and that's really necessary because those people that are just blindly following the next person off the cliff like lemmings, uh, uh, and people don't know much about lemmings, but uh, uh, they act as a group, and if one jumps off the cliff, they all jump off the cliff. Uh, uh, we have to stand on the sidelines and let those lemmings want to jump go. But we in this community and the people that are listening to this program, again, my deepest appreciation, because there's an opportunity for the for the listeners here to maybe I want to change my life. Maybe maybe I, I want to create not this, but something more beautiful like heaven on earth. Ah, That's a good one. That's an amazing thought to leave people on. That is my hope, too, that, you know, with all these interviews that we do and specifically this one to inspire people that, you know, you can live a better life. It's not all doom and gloom. We did previous episodes about um, how to stay positive in turbulent times, how to navigate grief and loss. But really, one of your takeaway messages is around the energy and also the epigenetics, meaning like we don't, we're, we can't just say, oh, my dad had a bad back, so I have a bad back, or my mom had Alzheimer's, so so will I. We are the creators of our own destiny, yes? A hundred percent. I mean, just a, a mind-blowing fact for so many people out there, you know, there's not one gene that causes cancer. There's no cancer gene. Cancer is 90% totally lifestyle and environment. And again, because when you buy cancer gene, you say, I am a victim. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to say, that belief system is 100% wrong because that prevents people from healing themselves by just owning the fact that I am a victim and accepting 
I am a victim rather than accepting the fact that I can change anything because epigenetics is how my mind can create. And the unfortunate part about it is epigenetics does control genes, but it's based on your consciousness. So people with very positive visions of the life that they want release chemistry that enhances vitality and genetic activity and negative thinking. Remember, just a placebo is a result of positive thinking that can heal a body of any disease. And what we've left out of the story for the public is, what about negative thinking? And I go, that is the problem. It's equally powerful in controlling your life, but it takes it in the opposite direction. 90% of cancer is nocebo. 90% 90 is just the, the not living in harmony with life and manifesting it. And I want people to know that, Natalie, and I thank you for this opportunity to make a little platform I can stand on and say this, because I want people to take their power back because I trust people over the corporations that are controlling the people. Oh, you know what? I'm think, sitting here thinking we're going to have to do another episode. I wrote down the power of the mind as our next topic and diving into that cancer thing because the stats are brutal. I mean, numbers are through the roof, whether people realize or not. People are going straight to stage four cancer. It is very suspect in my view. Um, but, you know, when I listened to Philippa interview you on Waste Not, Want Not, one of the things you said was around, I trust the, the public more than I trust the leadership of this world. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Take a survey. Just ask people what they want. Go anywhere around the world. And they all want almost exactly the same thing. They, they they want a place to live, a job to do. They want food and health care and protection. I go, everybody wants that. And I say, and we're having troubles. And I go, because they're not listening to the people. Uh, and even my own country, this is why I'm looking for another country. Uh, it's called a democracy. I'll give you a house that working attitude uh, because there was a um, a vote coming up on background checks before somebody buys a gun. You know, are they okay to buy a gun? 90% of Americans said, yes, background checks. And guess what? There are no background checks because they voted against it. And I'm saying, where's the democracy? <laughs> it's democracy, I think. Democracy. It totally is. <laughs> and so I thank you for your ability to bring that light into this world. Uh, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bruce. Amazing to chat with you. Thank you. You've been listening to Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on RCR Reality Check Radio.